0: Some of Emmett Moton Jr.'s earliest memories of Mass in New Orleans are of sitting behind a screen with his grandmother and the rest of the black parishioners.
1: And it was a screen in front of me, just like a, a, a screen, your, your house screen, you know? And we as African Americans sat behind that screen because it was segregated South, because I was black, we were black. We could not sit in front of that screen. So the church was saying to us, you know, you could be Catholics, but you're really not a part of us. So I said, we've come a long ways.
0: This is a clip from one of the stories filmmaker Pat Jones is collecting as part of her new film project. It's a collection of stories from parishioners at Jesu Parish in Detroit that highlights stirring faith and courage in the face of prejudice and racism, even at times within their own church.
1: It's incumbent upon us and the faith, our church, to talk about this. So our young people are looking for somebody to give them some light, some hope.
0: Pat felt that light and hope whenever she heard the stories of some of Jesus' oldest parishioners, and she believed others would feel it too. So she made a project to memorialize their stories for years to come. She calls it the Elders Project. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by WineGuards, everything from lawn to snow. Over the years, WineGuards has grown to offer an unbeatable selection of outdoor power equipment, and their experienced service technicians and unmatched parts inventory keep your equipment running like new. Visit www.weingarts.com to shop for your lawn and garden needs and find a convenient location near you. The Elders Project is just the type of project Pat Jones was made for. A storyteller.
2: I actually remember a friend of mine, a person in college told me that. She was like, you're a storyteller. And it was just the way she said it. It was so fascinating. And I'm like, you know, 20, 30 years later, oh, she was right.
0: Pat is a writer, producer, and director. She's worked on shows that have appeared on IFC, Spike TV, and Oxygen, and commercial work for McDonald's, GM, Sprint, and Reebok. Her latest storytelling project aims to tell the stories of African American elders from Jesu, her parish of over twenty years.
2: I have been trying to figure out a way to get the stories of so many of our elders. It's really kind of bothered me that over the years we people keep going home to glory and we haven't had the we don't we miss their stories. And um we missed a lot of stories. So uh I've been in meetings with various people, and you know, and they drop these little tidbits, and uh, they're just fascinating.
0: Pat started collecting stories from the elderly parishioners she knew, like 95-year-old Beatrice Ward, the first black woman to integrate Jesus school in 1963.
2: She's the most amazing woman because she's just really strong, um, and she's a fighter.
0: When Beatrice first moved her family to the neighborhood, she wanted to enroll her children at Jesus school, but...
2: They were turned away, But what I love about her is that she went right to the archdiocese and it was taken care of. And I think a lot of people would at that point would have, yes, I got my children in, but I don't want to be part of this community. No, she jumped in with both feet, was very involved in the school, was very involved in the parish. And she raised seven children. Six of them went through Jesu. Her eldest son went through uh, the seminary, uh, Sacred Heart Seminary School. So, you know, strong Catholic faith.
0: There were also the stories of Emmett Moulton, Jr., where faith and segregation were constantly juxtaposed.
1: You know, I went to seminary in in Philadelphia, the Holy Ghost Order. I was the only black in the whole school. And I was awakened that I'm leaving the South, highly segregated South to come to the North. I didn't realize that it was also segregated. And I was also treated as a secondary citizen and they treated me they they called me the n-word mm-hmm. and i'm in philadelphia as a 13 14 year old kid you know what i mean it, it uh caused me to the wonder well I'm, I'm going to priesthood what's going on here you know it uh, your faith is tested let me say this but you just keep keep working at it you know what i mean mm-hmm
0: or the experiences of the parishioner who spent time in a concentration camp, punctuated through the stories of all these elderly parishioners were resounding moments of faith that Pat felt compelled to share.
2: The stories are incredible and they're all of value and we we love our elders. We don't, we wanna just make sure that we preserve their legacy and they're incredible examples of faith. It's just, it's unbelievable what they endure and their devotion to to God, you know, to, to the Spirit, to, the, to Trinity. It, it's inspiring.
0: The more stories Pat uncovered, the more interviews she had, the greater the sense of urgency behind the project. Every year, dozens of elderly parishioners at Jesu pass away, along with, she feared, their stories of faith. She decided to get the project off the ground last year by forming a committee.
2: The Great Catholic Committee. Of, we formed a committee of people to kind of help us, you know. And so when I, when I first pitched the idea and I put together a proposal...
0: Pat compiled a list of around 25 people from the parish that could be featured in the project. The committee brought the proposal to Jesus' pastor, Father Lauren Snow. He was immediately interested and agreed to financially support the filming of the first video.
3: I see this as a, a great um, moment of evangelization and um, to also... Um, Celebrate um, the voices and um, the faith of uh, the b- Black Catholic community. I'm amazed that I, I'm I, my heart's been um, both uh, um, broken and also supported uh, by listening to our parishioners and as you know, they experience racism in their communities as well as in their church. But yet their faith uh, continues to, um, to bring and build a, a better community uh, for us here at Jesu and I think in the church. So I'm just amazed by just the story and then just the, the fortitude of faith. That uh, these individuals bring to this moment, it really is. It, it I've heard many people say, "Oh, my faith is so much richer after hearing their struggle, their story, and just the value that they value their faith in such a way." So. These are important stories because we're gonna lose them if we don't celebrate them now.
0: Pat worked with her committee and the local production studio, Ghost Light Productions, to film the interviews. The next step was just convincing her storytellers.
1: Pat was very persuasive about the need for us to do something like this as a parish.
0: Emmett is a proud 79-year-old, seventh-generation Catholic who's been at Jesu Parish for 44 years.
1: I've seen a lot of individuals in the parish, growing up, moving out, passing away, or what have you. And uh, we talk about them, but we never know a lot about them, unless we get a, a, a person passed away and and we have the, the funeral program, you know. But other than that, we don't know a person, we don't know who they are, you know, what they've done. And so Pat was, uh, was very persuasive that as a parish, you know, we should begin to record our history as a parish. We just had our 100th anniversary as a school and also as a church a year ago, and I just felt that, you know, it's needed.
0: Through the course of Emmett's film interview, he tells anecdotes from his time growing up in the South, what it was like to live through segregation, not only in public, but also sacred spaces like his own church and
1: communion line. And it makes you double. So why am I doing this? I mean, is is there are we? And we went through this as kids. You know, is there a black God? Is there a white God? Are we like third graders, fourth graders. We didn't know what was going on. You know, you know, we can't we can't go to that church. If we do, we have to go at a certain time. We have to sit in a certain location. We have to wait for communion. All of us through and. And some of some of the individuals just left because they said, "I I, I don't understand how this church can exist in in a in a in, in a situation where they don't accept all people equally," you know. So yeah, I went through a lot of doubt, and like I say, I'm seven generation Catholic, so it's not like leaving, you know.
0: He talks about the fears of growing up in a time when Emmett Till was murdered and the burning flags of the KKK were not an unusual sight. He talks about his time as the only black seminarian in the Holy Ghost Order in Philadelphia, where he was called the N-Word. He talks about his time working in high school athletics in Louisiana when they first integrated, playing football games with police escorts under Confederate flags while the KKK waited outside the football stadium. Most profoundly, he talks about the unlikely moments of light piercing through the darkness of racism, moments of reconciliation he had with people who treated him with racism, moments where high school football players showed unity in the face of their parents' racism. In short, he offers the hope that motivated him to film the video in the first place. For any person who's struggling with their faith, he's a witness to fighting the good fight.
2: I think, you know, what, what we found, and, and, you know, especially with Emmett, was. Um, he, he wants to tell the stories, or people want to tell the story in terms of their own stories and in terms of what they've experienced. I don't think that they always realize how it affected them, where it affects them, when it comes up. Like for instance, in the, in, you know, in the film, when Emmett tells an incredible story of integrating high school athletics in Louisiana, and he gets very emotional. That. We talked about it afterwards because it was a shock for him. He said he's never cried about that in his entire life. And he got very emotional, but it touched
1: something and it was just, you know, how it all came out. Pat, she was able to plant a seed. So she planted a lot and brought a lot out of me in question that she may have asked, you know, which triggered other things that I. I went on to talk about, sometimes we kind of forget, well, we don't want to talk about that, that's bad. It's like I said when Pat answered those questions, it was hidden in me.
0: But Emmett was motivated, motivated by the hope that he could offer a historical lens that young people hearing his story could hold on to, could use as fuel for persevering.
1: I think our young people are our, our, our good good leaders, I think, today. They are, they're going to be the folks that are make a change in, in, in this country, in our church. Our young people are leading the church. And I have a lot of, lot of faith. That's the, that's, that's the faith that I have. When I watch things happen, I talk to my grandkids. They are not just sitting back. So I think as much history as they're able to get, the better they are.
0: The Elders Project has one more film on Beatrice Ward in the can four to five more they hope to film within the next year, and dozens that they hope to film in the long term. They've done some fundraising within their parish, have received funds from various foundations, and are in the process of becoming a 501c3. Uh,
2: The goal is to, yeah, as you said, to to continue. Well, we want to grow it. And we would love it to eventually put uh, the films together and, you know, put them out there. I want as many people as possible to see them because as, as father said, it's a tool for evangelization and they're incredible stories and you know, if it can help someone in their journey, it would be amazing. So we want to keep it. We want this to be distributed widely. We want it seen widely. We want people to, you know, experience what the other people have seen in order to grow their own faith.
0: But in the meantime, Pat is enjoying falling more and more in love with her parish community.
2: It, I, it made me fall deeper in love with this parish. Um, the history, the resiliency, the, the commitment to the parish and to the faith. Um, yeah, those are all the things it's taught me. It's just, it just made me admire the people who have come, the people who have stayed and And people's commitment, you know we are one of the few uh Catholic schools in the city of Detroit that's been running continuously for a hundred years um that's exciting, you know, I did not attend jsu, but you know i I think it's just a very exciting thing that it has such a history, such longevity, and such a tradition so and that means that there's there's a commitment and there's also. There's something that makes people come back. You know, the spirit of God is alive. And we just want to keep building the kingdom. We just want to keep bringing the spirit. And, you know, just keep the spirit alive here and and to grow and hopefully Mm -hmm. be a center that spreads out, that we we spread the Mm -hmm. power of God. We spread the spirit and revival and, you know, that this is a home for people. And they find community, but they find God.
0: What Pat is doing is nothing new. She's taking the ever-ancient evangelization tool, the story, to pass down something for the newer church to hold on to.
2: Storytelling was a way to teach people the gospel, to teach people, you know, our faith. I think it's an incredible tool, um, and the personal testimony is so strong, um, always in convincing and convicting people of faith because there's nothing like it, you know, to hear someone's story.
3: A good story uh, never goes out of fashion. I mean, a a really good story brings forth and generates um, inspiration. So that's sort of what what I'm hoping for. Um, I I work with a group of people who uh, practice storytelling as as a part of our profession as priests and as preachers. And so um, it'd be great to have a resource we could go to that would would, um, that uh, faith uh, could be celebrated, in a sense, in the context of people's lived stories.
0: Like the oral tradition of the past, passing down Christian tenets through generations, Pat's offering experiences of faith that could otherwise become a far too distant reality. She hopes viewers will walk away with a lived experience of faith to grasp when facing adversity.
2: That, you know, really that uh, God is always present. I yeah. mean, really, that that that's really it. You hear someone's story and you just hear their faith and that God is with us.
3: And to really celebrate that and, um, um, and faith and that faith is possible, you know, that church is possible. And, and the reality is this isn't the church in the past, but these voices connect us to the church today in the present. Um, and and that's, that's very powerful. We're not a denying institution by any means.
0: Today, 25% of Catholics are over 65. We lose roughly 1,500 of those Catholics every day in the U.S. This has been named the Silent Generation, a term first penned by Time Magazine in 1951 to describe the generation the writers deemed as a still small flame in comparison with the flaming youth of their fathers and mothers. Born on the cusp of the Great Depression, this was the generation that lost fathers and brothers to World War II They saw the fall of Nazism and the catastrophic devastation made by the nuclear bomb. They came of age in a post-World War II world with a devastated social order within which they were to become acquainted with the new enemy in Communism. They fought in the Korean War. They grew up in a time of segregation and started the civil rights movement. This is a generation that saw the nation at the height of religious participation when the pews were packed with believers. They can hearken back to the days of Bishop Sheen on ABC, Gregory Peck and Bing Crosby starring as beloved priests in popular mainstream movies. Sometimes they may still seem like the silent generation today. They are dutifully present for daily Mass and Eucharistic adoration. They are the powerhouses of the Church, ones who offer time, talent, and treasure to the many ministries of the parishes, and yet we may scarcely get to know them. We're stuck in the boundaries of our generationally clustered Bible studies or prayer groups, but there is so much we have to learn from them. Perhaps they just need to be asked to tell their story. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Detroit Stories is brought to you by Wineguards, everything from lawn to snow. Over the years, Wineguards has grown to offer an unbeatable selection of outdoor power equipment and their experienced service technicians and unmatched parts inventory keep your equipment running like new. Visit www.wineguards.com to shop for your lawn and garden needs and find a convenient location near you.